Amen. Thank you, guys. That song, my grandparents used to sing that song to me uh, and my sister. We would go on this trip, and anytime we'd go on a road trip, they would sing that song. Uh, and then when I came to Christ at 21, the first time I heard it in church, I was like, they got me. <laughs> they got me. And it's one of my uh, favorite songs that we sing as a church. I would assume that uh, if the time comes that we are persecuted for our faith and I find myself in some terrible situation, that that is probably the song that will come to my mind. I want to spend just a quick second, if we could, to uh, pray for our brothers and sisters who um, can't do this. They don't get to come just freely to church. And I would love to just a chance to pray for them. Would you join me in that, please? Father, we just lay out before you our brothers and sisters who are in Christ around the world who are at this moment oppressed and persecuted, imprisoned, and in hiding, Lord, because of their faith in Jesus. God, we pray that today you would strengthen them, that you would bring to their mind and heart songs of praise and honor to you, and that you would give them boldness and courage to share the truth of Jesus with those who have captured them or have oppressed them or who are torturing them or who are trying to stop your, your gospel from going forward today. We're thankful for the freedom that we have to come and do this and that at some point, Lord, if we are called to live in that way, that they would be mindful to pray for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've never been in prison for the gospel. I've never um, been harmed physically for the gospel. But I have had moments where I thought, this is it. I remember we took some kids down uh, to Mexico to go do some work down there, and we were in a 12-passenger van. We got pulled over by the Federales, and I was like, this is it. You know, I don't know. Have you ever found yourself in those moments where you're like, this is it. This. I've been in a lot of trouble in my life. And I've had a lot of moments where I was like, oh man, this is definitely it. You know, have you found yourself in those spaces? I don't know. Maybe it's not prison. Maybe it's not physical oppression, right? But maybe that feeling of finality, like there's no ability to move forward right now. Like I don't have the ability to do anything. Or you felt squeezed and maybe compressed, maybe oppressed. Maybe it's because your relationship that is that way. Like, Man, this is it. Maybe you've been sharing the gospel and you've been confronted in a harmful way. Maybe it's because of your own decisions that you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go forward at all. Right? I feel chained by my decisions. I know I felt that way. We're going to hear today of somebody who actually was chained up. And my hope today is this. We prayed for you guys this morning, as we always do, but we prayed today that as you're confronted by God today through his word, that you would be encouraged to know that there is always a way forward. There's always a way out of that binding and oppression and captivity that we find ourselves in, you know? Because if you feel hopeless, you quit. And today we're gonna find somebody who 
was in one of the most hopeless situations, and we're going to figure out how it changed from hopelessness to God still getting his way. And I know it sounds like we should all know that, but we have a tendency as people to forget that we serve a God that created us in the first place, right? That we serve a God we are talking about, singing about, uh, you know, enjoying praying to a God who is not just capable, but so powerful that we didn't have anything to do with the beginning. Can you imagine that? God didn't need our help to start this whole thing. Somehow we believe that God needs our help to fix it. And we get to participate in his work, right? But we're gonna find the, the mighty, powerful hand of God at work today as we study the book of Acts chapter 12. Now, I know that it sounds like we should go to 11, but I wanna summarize 11, right? Because a lot of it is Peter telling the story about what happened in chapter 10 and how the gospel is going to the Gentiles. So I'm gonna briefly summarize chapter 11 and then we're gonna jump into chapter 12. So the apostles and the brothers... They heard about the gospel going to the Gentiles, so they wanted to go and check it out, right? Because they began to, the the circumcised believers criticized Peter and was like, hey man, you went against the rules. You're not supposed to be in the Gentile house. You're not supposed to be eating with those people. And he says, let me explain. And so chapter 11 is him explaining exactly what happened about the sheet, about the vision, about his journey to Cornelius' house, about what the spirit did there, right? The Gentile Pentecost, if you will. And they were all amazed and they were thankful. And then verse 19 to the end is how the church had been scattered and how in Antioch, right, it said in verse 20, it says the Lord's hand was with them. The gospel kept moving forward. Barnabas, we see, goes to Tarsus. That's where he hooks up with the apostle Paul for their journeys together, which we'll hear about later. And the disciples, verse 26 Right, as they met together and talked about Jesus and all that he had commanded them, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And it was not a, uh, a nice term. That term was meant as a derogatory term. Oh, you Christians. Everywhere else in reference to people who follow Jesus, they're actually referred to as disciples, not Christians. There's a whole other sermon on why we are called disciples and not Christians, but not today. So this is what is happening, okay? Verse, we're gonna start at chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also, and this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. This is not Herod the Great. This is his son, Herod Agrippa I. And when it says that he arrested some, he didn't walk up peacefully and say, hands behind your back. It says that he forcefully laid hands on them, intending to harm them. The word to persecute them, it meant to intend harm. They weren't gonna give him a good tongue lashing about uh, not talking about Jesus. It was his intention to bring injury and harm to those that they were arresting. And this James is the brother of John that we find when they're called. James and John, the brothers, the sons of thunder. This is that James. It is not the James who wrote the book of James, which is the half-brother of Jesus, which we'll hear about in this same chapter. It's like uh, James, John, Jim, Bob, 
right? We know a bunch of people with the same name. This is what's happening here. I just want you to know who we're talking about. And it pleased the Jews, and it happened around the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what's interesting, it's not insignificant that this is the timing. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was a celebration that was mandated to the people of Israel, right? And it was meant to remember the night that they came out of Egypt, that they were brought out of Egypt. And it happened immediately after the Passover. And the Passover, right, when all the plagues happened, right, the last one was the the firstborn of all of the Egyptians died. That night, God said, hey, place blood on your doorpost and I will pass over. And their, their firstborns were saved from that. And then they were rescued from their oppressors. They were rescued from their captivity in Egypt. And you understand why this is important. It's actually pretty interesting that it happened at this time and what happened to Peter. They were in captivity in Egypt with no way out. The oppression was terrible there. And God said the night they, they, before they left, they said, look, I want you to make bread with no yeast because it's not gonna have time to rise. The Feast of Unleavened Bread so they could leave when God told them to leave so they would be prepared. This is the time that this was all happening as they were celebrating what God had done in Egypt so we'll see what he does now. So he hands them over and he puts them in a cell and he puts them, they have four squads of four soldiers on rotation. Two were chained to Peter handcuffed to Peter, to guarding the door. This is the scene. So he's in a cell, and he's between two soldiers, locked on either side, and two guarding the door. Okay? I don't know about you, but this, the times where I have felt the most, I, I'm uh, claustrophobic as it is, I hate being in tight spaces. I don't know if it's just, I'm, you know, like, I need some air, I need to breathe. He couldn't breathe. Locked up in a cell, Not just in a cell, which would be confining in and of itself, but he had two guards at the door, which seems kind of like, okay, it's overdone. Why do you need two? And then inside the cell, right next to him, were two other people. I don't know how much more captive you can be. I don't know how much more dire it would seem. To me, that would seem like, well, this doesn't look very good. This is it. And I think that the reason we see James, we see Peter, they're attacking these two men who are leaders in the church. These guys are leading the charge in the gospel going out. Do you know why the enemy attacked them? Because if, if, if he can attack the best Christians, if he can attack the ones sold out, other people will lose heart. And the real question is, are we the kind of disciples of Jesus the enemy's gonna attack? There's a story of a student going and talking to his professor and he goes in and he's like, you know, I don't understand. He says, I'm, life's pretty good. I don't have any problems, right? And he's a believer. And he goes through this conversation about everything seems smooth and fine. I don't have any problems. And his professor challenges him. He says, that's the problem. He goes, the, the, the reason that you're not being attacked by the, by the enemy is because you're not a threat. And it's not a threat to people, but spiritually speaking, when you are so passionate about the gospel going out, when you are so passionate about making disciples, when you are giving your whole life for the sake of the kingdom of God, spiritual enemies, the devil and all his minions, will attack you. And this is what was going on with Peter and James and all those people leading the charge. There was intense persecution, not because they were lawbreakers, but because they were willing to obey God before anybody else. And as they obeyed God, it started to create problems for people who had a different agenda. 
Are we the kind of Christians who the enemy is worried about? Let's go on, verse five. So he's in this dire need. This is it situation. And it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was in a this is it situation, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Peter was in a place where it seemed like his time in the kingdom building was done, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Earnestly praying. Think back to a time, the last time you earnestly prayed. Jesus gives a good example of earnest prayer in the garden before he gave his life for the world. Earnest prayer. It wasn't a five minute, hey God, I hope everything works out today prayer. It wasn't a, oh God, thank you that I'm not like these other people kind of prayer. It wasn't the kind of prayer that you forget there's a uh, wonderful book on prayer. It's called The Kneeling Christian. What the church was doing at the time was intercession. They were pleading. They were conversing with a God who they knew was the only chance if something was going to change. The only chance of it being different than the circumstance he found himself in. This is what this book says. It says, uh, we may rest fully assured of this. That a man's influence in the world can be gauged not by his eloquence or his zeal or his orthodoxy or his energy, but by his prayers. Our ability to influence the world, to see the movement of God in the world, isn't going to be because we're more energetic, more zealous, more eloquent than anybody else, but because we are people of prayer. The work actually gets done on our knees. Do you find yourself on your knees in the most dire circumstances or are you looking for the first available person to fix it for you? It used to be, I don't have my phone, it's a good thing. Smash it on the ground. No, don't get it, don't get it. This is our first go-to, right? I'm in a problem, who do I? I mean, it's all right here, this is our fix. We hit our phone, not our knees. You know, when I was growing up, you would have, uh, you'd drive, I used to drive to San Francisco two and a half hours from my home when I was 16 years old in my 1988 Toyota Tercel. It was not mechanically sound to do that over and over, but I did it. And you know what's interesting? I found myself at times in some pretty weird situations. And what do you do? I wasn't a believer, so I certainly didn't hit my knees. I remember when my truck blew up I was in the middle of two, two towns with a thoroughfare, and you know what I had to do at 17 years old? I had to hitchhike so I could get to town to get to a phone to call my dad to let him know my car blew up. We had to rely on something other than ourselves or our phone to fix it. And as believers, we have a great big God who is waiting to talk to us, to listen to us, and to help us. And the church knew that that was their only play Let's keep going. So the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. By the way, he wasn't gonna try him, he was gonna kill him. His intention was not to have him stand and have a fair trial. Okay, what do you guys think about this Peter guy? No, his intention was to, to hang him, to kill him, to cut off his head. That's what he was gonna do. Let's see what it says. So the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, 
Peter was texting all his friends, freaking out, posting on Twitter so everybody knew how bad it was. Does yours not say that? What version is this? It's weird. All right, mine doesn't say that either. It says that Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers. He was bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. How in the world did this man who was in a this is it circumstance have the peace to fall asleep? How is it that Peter could rest between two stinky Roman guards chained to either side with two guards at the door and a cell slammed shut tight waiting for his execution. That is not how I do it. I fret, I'll pray, but I fret and worry because I forget some really, really important things. Now, Peter had been here before. It's not the first time Peter found himself in prison for sharing the gospel. But he found himself bound to chains. And it's because Peter had remembered what Jesus had told him back in John chapter 21. Okay, one of the reasons is that Peter remembered the words of Jesus. He understood that God had rule over his life and what he told him didn't match up to the circumstance, so something must be different. So it might look a certain way, but because God has already shown me what's gonna happen later, I don't have to freak out. He knew people were praying. Let's see what it says. So he's asleep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Weird. I, don't, I would say weird only because it's not our experience. That this is it circumstance turned into a, oh, what's next circumstance real quick. So the angel shows up. He struck Peter on the, on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of his wrists. Now, Peter wasn't just resting and napping. I'm just closing my eyes. He was in a deep sleep where the angel had, he was like, Peter, nothing. Peter, nothing. Peter. No, he had to strike him on the side. Peter, would you wake up? There, we got stuff to do, man. And so he goes, he wakes him up, he says, quick, get up. And it says the chains fell off his wrist. The, the angel didn't have a key to the chains. We don't serve a tangible, like, uh, bound by human existence God. We serve a supernatural God. And so the chains fell off. Right? He didn't have to wrestle them off. He didn't have to squeeze his hand out. He didn't have to jimmy rig it. He just, they fell off because that's what God wanted to happen. Because Peter serves a supernatural God. So the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. He's giving him clear directions on what he needs to do. Peter followed him out of the prison, this is great, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening because he thought he was seeing a vision. He didn't understand that it was real. So they passed the first and second guards, could you imagine? What I see is like the slow-mo. I play movies in my head when I read the Bible, right? He's like, oh, the chains are off. Oh, see you, Jim. See you, Tony. They're probably Italian. 
First and second guards, and it says this. It says, they came to an iron gate and it opened for them by itself. This wasn't CGI, it's not special effects by, by George Lucas and his team. Supernatural God, chains falling off, iron gates opening. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So Peter came to himself. Huh. And he says, now I know. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And it says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. And this is the one who wrote the book of Mark where many people had gathered and were praying. He, Peter, he knocks on the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. Peter's at the door. Now, I don't know, you're, you're Peter like, he's like looking around, checking his, you know, he's like, he just got, he got sprung from prison by an angel who did some crazy stuff and now he's at the door by the people who've been praying and waiting for the answer. She comes to the door, she peeks through the hole, ah! and she runs, and she tells everybody, Peter's here, Peter's here. And he's like, he's still like out there. He's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? It's the most funny thing in the whole world. This is a classic, classic sitcom bit. <laughs> See, the Bible's very relevant. You just didn't know it. You're out of your mind, they told her, and she kept insisting, so they said it must be his angel. This points to the belief that there was um, personal angels. We're not gonna get into the theology and doctrine of all these things, but that's why they said it like that. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. And they were astonished because though they had been praying, they didn't expect God to answer that quickly. There's this other quote that says this. If God were to answer words we repeated on our knees this morning, should we know it? Should we recognize the answer? Do we even remember what we asked for? We have to ask ourselves these things. When we pray, do we pray with the expectation that God is actually listening and will answer at all? It's convicting for me because I wanna be the type of people who will pray and wait for the knock at the door. Because we know that God is going to spring him from jail, right? We know the chains were gonna fall off. We know that, that he's gonna be let out. We know, even though we don't know how, that it's gonna happen because we serve a big, big God. And so he said, shh, don't, I'm not supposed to be here. And he gives them things, say, tell James, right? This is James, the one who wrote the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Tell James about this. And then it says, Peter, he took off and he went somewhere else. We don't know where he went. And then after Herod in the morning found out he wasn't there, they questioned the guards, and then he had him executed because Peter wasn't there. Herod was a pretty terrible guy, by the way. He had one thing. He wanted, he had this very particular agenda he was trying to accomplish, and because those guards, somebody had to be lying because in their minds, they're not thinking supernatural God sprung Peter from prison, even though they've been persecuting people who are experiencing a supernatural God. And he had them executed. And then this last bit. Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there and he had a quarrel. He was trying to, to gain some um, more authority, some more position, right? And on the appointed day, verse 21, wearing his royal robes, he sat down on his throne and delivered a public address. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. 
Verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. (laughs) Who says the Bible is not super awesome? This is in the scriptures. God will not share his honor or glory with anybody. No king, no man, no person in authority, no pastor. There is only room for one person on the throne of our lives and of the world and his name is Jesus. He sits with his father and the Holy Day. That's it. That's all there is. God will not share his glory with another. And the thing that is important for us here is that it reminds us that he will deal with his enemies and when they're too strong for us, they're never too strong for him. Even though Herod had this very clear agenda to kill Peter, God had other plans. And even though Peter couldn't take care of Herod, God did. If you're writing down notes, I want you to write this down. Nothing and no one can stop the movement of the gospel from covering the whole earth, even when it seems impossible. Nothing and no one can stop the movement of the gospel from covering the whole earth, even when it seems impossible. When Peter was chained and pressed and imprisoned, looking toward his possible death, there were three things that gave him hope, three things that offered him the peace to fall asleep and then to be freed, and here's what they are. He believed God's word. In John 21, he told them, when you're, you dress yourself when you're young, when you're older, you're gonna go where I tell you, and you're gonna die the way that I did. He was telling him, it won't be by the sword, but by crucifixion. So Peter knew that being beheaded by the sword was not his lot. The second thing is he obeyed and did what the angel told him. He listened and he obeyed, even though it sounded weird. Right? The angel gave him very specific instructions and he obeyed that. That's why he was set free. And the last thing is this. Prayer covered him. His community prayed earnestly. Right? He had people watching over him in prayer. This gave him the peace. So what does this mean for us? There have been people and governments and systems that have tried and tried and tried to keep the gospel from going forward. Clearly, all throughout history, there have been people, governments, and systems that have tried to keep the gospel from going over the whole earth. And they've used force and violence and other means, but none have ever been able to do so. Because God is a chain breaker, and he sets people free through his gospel. Pharaoh had an agenda, right? Pharaoh had an agenda. That didn't work. Herod had an agenda. The Jewish religious leaders had an agenda. Hitler had an agenda, And people and government and systems all throughout history have had the agenda to try to stop the gospel from going forward. You can't pray in school. You can't talk about Jesus at work. Pick your law that tells you you're not supposed to and can't. And that is the agenda of the enemy, our spiritual enemy, Satan, trying to keep the gospel from going forward. And it hasn't worked yet. Sometimes we're in the way. Sometimes we're the ones that have, try as we might, we try to keep that gospel from coming in, don't we? Or because of our choices, we keep it from going out from us too. And we are the one trying to hinder the work of the gospel. But since the beginning, it has never worked, nor will it. We have times where we feel squeezed and confined, right? Where we feel chained and bound up because of relationships that we're in, circumstances we're in, decisions that we've made, maybe because we're out doing the work of the ministry, 
And it doesn't matter what people, government, system, or anybody else tries to do. We have to remember a few things. We have to believe God's word. In Matthew, it tells us that Simon, when he confessed Christ, he says, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome the people following Jesus to proclaim the good news of him. We have to obey all that he's commanded us. It's been revealed right here, guys. It's not a secret. We have to believe God's word. We have to obey all that he's commanded. We have to let prayer be a necessity, not a novelty. For those of you who need an acronym, it's BOP. In case you're wondering. I want you to hear this. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, we By setting it forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in, the body, uh, in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Though outwardly we might be crushed and chained and oppressed and held captive... Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, guys, the church is God's plan. There is no plan B. He's not waiting for somebody else to share Jesus. He's waiting for us. And he's waiting for us to be a people who will believe him, obey him, and be people of prayer to see it through. Today, if you are bound by your own sin and you're locked up in your life and you're not sure where to turn, Jesus is the answer. He's the one who will take those chains and let them fall off and lead you into the light. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's No other way to God but through him. And it's for you. It doesn't matter your shame or your guilt. It doesn't matter the pain that's been caused by your decisions or the decisions of others. Jesus is able to lead you out into freedom. 
We're gonna spend some time, uh, I'm gonna ask Wayne to come up and he's gonna lead us in a time of communion. Should have your elements with you. And he's also going to uh, open the floor for prayer during this time. Uh, And he'll let you know what to do from here.